So we are doing uh, a series on Joseph. We're on now week six out of nine. And um, I've got to do the obligatory recap at the start. Um, it's getting longer every time. So I feel sorry for the last person who has to do it. Um, I love these. These are like my favorite bits, actually. You know, when you... um, So we've been watching... Claire and I watch... A, we like to have a program we watch together. We're watching Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and at the start of it, it's like, previously on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So this is like, previously on Joseph. Here you go. Or like on Bake Off, and they're like, show the person losing. Um, right, anyway, let's go on with it. So Joseph... Here, I've got, I've got to recap everything already. Okay, so... um. Joseph, he is the son of Jacob, Jacob, Azov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fame. Um, so Joseph's the great grandson of Abraham. So Joseph was the favoured son, we found out in the first week, the favoured son of Jacob. Um, and because he was the, because he was his dad's favourite, all his other brothers hated him. He had 11 brothers, there were 12 of them all together. And, and he had a dream. He had two dreams, and in these dreams, he interpreted them as meaning, well, his brothers as well interpreted as meaning that his family was going to bow down at some time. His family was going to bow down before him. And uh, when he told them this, they already hated him. And then he said, I had a dream from God in which you were all bowing down to me. And then they hated him even more. Um, so we learned that Jacob sent Joseph on a mission, a dangerous mission, to check on his brothers. His brothers had all the family's livestock elsewhere, and he had to go on a mission to check out that his brothers are all right. Unfortunately, they tried to kill him, or they were going to kill him by throwing him into a pit and leaving him to die, because um, they really hated him. Uh, however, they relented, and rather than killing him by leaving him in a pit, they sold him into slavery instead. Uh, he was then resold, we found out the next week, he was resold into the house of an Egyptian, uh, a high-ranking Egyptian, and uh, he was really successful, called Potiphar, and he was really successful in that household because God was with him all the time. Uh, he was so successful in what he did that uh, Potiphar ended up making him in charge of his whole household to the extent that the Bible says he didn't have to worry about anything because Joseph took care of all of his needs. And we learned that he practiced the presence of God in slavery to the extent that even uh, the Egyptians said, we can see that God is with you. And um, however, it got worse. He was then accused of a crime that he didn't commit and he was thrown into prison. Uh, again, we see the same thing happening. God was with him still. He remained faithful to God. God remained faithful to him. And again, he won the favor of the people in charge of the prison. He was put in charge over all the other prisoners, again, because God was with him and gave him success in everything that he did. And he was diligent in serving God and those around him. And um, he didn't give up on believing that God could speak in dreams because he interpreted the dreams of two other prisoners, which then came true. And uh, But then he was forgotten about. He spent another couple of years sitting in the prison. However, he had a dramatic change of fortune. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had some rather disturbing dreams, which no one was able to interpret. And then one of the prisoners remembered Joseph. Joseph was brought before Pharaoh uh, to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh's dreams were interpreted as being there's going to be seven years of great abundance in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And uh, he recommended someone was put in charge to look after the abundance so that they would have enough food for the famine. And Joseph was put in charge by Pharaoh. And again, he was second in charge of the whole of the kingdom, of the whole of Egypt, um, to administer the collection of grain during the time of 
plenty, so they would have enough for the time of famine. And, uh, and then we learned that, so uh, Joseph attributed his success to God. He didn't put it down to himself. He gave God honor for what God had done in his life. And uh, he continued to act in a godly and upright manner. Uh, he even named his sons in honor of what God had done in his life. Manasseh meant forget because he said, God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my family. They had tried to kill him, to be fair. And, um, and, then, and then his other son was called Ephraim, uh, which means fruitful because he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And that's where we left it last week. Oh, no, hang on. One more thing. And then the famine struck. So we, last week uh, we had the seven years of abundance and we're just hitting famine season. And um, that's where we're at. Um, let's get on with this week then. So I'm going to read from Genesis 42. That's what we're doing. <laughs> um, I don't know. Anyway, OK, there we go. Um, we're going from Genesis 42 and um, we've had some dramatic moments. Up to now, great highs, great lows, or I can reassure you that the dramatic moments will continue. This will be another episode that you'll have to come back and see what happens next week, because uh, it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger again. Um, so again, this week is full of drama, just like the others. Let's start off, let's start off by praying and asking God to reveal his truth to us. Lord God, we love you. You're really good. You're really cool. You're good to us. Thank you that you speak to us in stories. It makes it really fun to learn. Um, we thank you, God, that this truth, this uh, truth gives life to us. It's not just an abstract story we can learn about, but it's actually your truth which brings light. Thank you, God, that your Bible is more than just stories. Actually, it's an invitation to know God's, to know you, that the God we read about in the Bible, you are alive and you're in this room today. And that we're not just learning stories and learning principles, but we're learning about the God who is with us now. That it's not just a, a story, but an invitation to the God who is real. So we just we just honour you and just say, come and reveal your truth to us. Amen. Right then. Um, so Genesis 42 is where we're at. We're just going to start off with the last verse and then get into Genesis 42. Now, I'm not actually going to read out the story. I'm not going to read the text. I'm going to tell you the story kind of in my own words. And then I'm going to draw out two points, just two, two points from the story. Um, before we get into it, a little bit of history. So this was in 1600 BC, uh, just over three and a half thousand years ago. And I was looking online about how many people there were in the world at the time, because I thought that was interesting. And apparently um, most estimates put the world population at about 30 million people in the whole world at the time. Uh, which is about less than half of the population of the UK at the moment. It's also the entire population of Uzbekistan right now, or Peru. So the entire population of Peru spread throughout the world. Some upper estimates put it at 100 million, which is the population of the Philippines, but most go for about 30 million. Okay, that's how many people there are in the whole world. I thought I'd let you know that. I thought that was interesting. Um, okay, last week... We saw that Joseph, he'd come to this amazing place of peace. Uh, he, he'd said, God, you've made me forget my hardship. You've made me forget all my difficulties. You've made me fruitful in this land of affliction. He'd gone through the tough times. He'd allowed God to work on his character. He'd come through. He'd been promoted. He was happy. He had some sons. He'd had some children. He was married. He had a family. You could probably say he had a good job as well because he was second in charge of the whole country. Um, 
And then the famine comes, but he was ready. He was ready for that. He knew it was going to happen. He had seven years to prepare. However, the famine doesn't just come to Egypt. It comes to the whole of the surrounding lands, including where the rest of his family is, his dad, Jacob. So Jacob, his father, sends the rest of his sons, well, 10 of the 11, not the youngest, called Benjamin, who is Joseph's full brother. The rest were his half-brothers. They send him to Egypt to get grain. And guess who they got to go to? Joseph. Yeah, OK. Um, so they're going to have to go and see Joseph. So he's sitting there happy. It's been 20 years. It's been 20 years since he last saw his family, since his brothers last tried to kill him and then sold him as a slave. OK, it's been 20 years. And then they come in to Joseph to buy grain and they bow down before him because he's the guy in charge. And it's the start of his dream coming true. This is what he had dreamed, that his brothers would come and bow down before him. But here's the cool bit. Here's the kind of amazing human moment that he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Of course, they wouldn't, would they? They're not expecting him to be there. He's dressed like an Egyptian, um, like an Egyptian prince. So he's sitting there and they bow down before him and he recognizes him. And the Bible says he remembered his dreams. He remembered the dream of them bowing down before him. And remember, these are the people who nearly murdered him. These are the people who sold him as a slave. They betrayed his trust. They lied to his father about his death. Think of his, um, and by the way, he was 17 at the time when they sold him as a slave. He was 17. He was just a teenager. And um, here they are, 20 years later, coming to him for food and like look where he is now yeah he is the one with authority he has total authority his only pharaoh was higher than him he could do whatever he wanted so what did he do you know this was his moment for revenge this was his moment to give them what they deserved he wasn't a little teenager anymore who they beat up threw in a pit and sold as a slave he was in charge of the most powerful nation in the world at the time He was second only to Pharaoh. So what does he do? Well, let's have a look at what he does. Because it's like, I don't know. Let's find out. It's exciting. Um, Well, first of all, he makes up this accusation that they're spies. He says he spoke harshly to them and accuses them as being spies, which, if you read on, I think feels more like an excuse to keep them there for longer because he never really does much about it. Um, So, And they go, no, we're not spies. And they try to plead with him and they say, no, it's not true. We're just like, we're guys, we've got this family. And they talk about how we're 12 brothers. We had one, but he was dead. And then we had another one who's back home still. And um, and that's important because so, he said, obviously, this is his younger brother, Benjamin, his, his full brother who he hasn't seen in 20 years, who was younger than him at the time. So would have just been a young teenager. And um, And so he says to them, right, well, if it's true... If what you're telling me is the truth and you really are this family and you're not spies, then you will have to stay here. And I'm going to let one of you go back and you have to get that brother and bring him back here to prove to me that uh, you really are who you say you are. Now, this would have taken a long time. I didn't look it up. Maybe I should have done. Now I feel like I want to. But like how long it would have taken to travel. <laughs> but they would have had to done it like on foot or on like, I don't know, horse, um, donkey. Um so that it would have taken a while is the point I'm trying to make. Um, but so he says that. And then three days later, he keeps in prison for three days. And then he relents and says, right, one of you has to stay. 
and the rest of you can go. Okay? And then, while that's happening, he's being mean to them still, they have a conversation with each other. And he can understand what they're saying, but they don't realize it because there's an interpreter. And uh, so he's pretending to be an Egyptian. So, and this is what they say. I'm actually going to read it out because it's, it's quite profound. So this is from Genesis 42, reading from verse 21. So it says, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. That's Joseph who's standing right in front of them. We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And then he turned away from them and wept. And then he returned and spoke to them. Wow, isn't that amazing? It's been 20 years since the time when they sold him as a slave. And all that time, Joseph has stayed close to God. He's allowed God to work on his character. He's come to a place of fruitfulness and peace. But his brothers haven't. They haven't found peace. They're still living with the guilt. They're still living with the shame of what they did. They're still cut to the core about it. Their guilt is still there. And when Joseph sees it, he weeps, almost as if he were weeping for them. God has blessed him so much. He gives honor to God and says, you've made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Yet his brothers who stayed at home, they haven't grown. They haven't known the freedom that God gave Joseph. And so he weeps for them. Isn't that amazing? And then what does he do? He blesses them abundantly. He gives them so much stuff. He sends them off. I almost suspect the reason he changed it around so that 11, or nine of them had to go and one stayed is so they could carry more with them when they went. Because remember, the rest of his family are stuck way over there running out of food. So he gives them all the grain they want. He also has the money put back in the bags so that they don't even have to pay for it. And he gives them provision for their journey home. And they're blessed so much that they start to panic when they find out how much stuff they've got. And the fact that the money's come back to them because they're like, this is too much. They're going to really think we're bad now. And they take it. They're going to look like we stole it. So he blesses them so much that they're terrified about how much stuff they've got. Because obviously they don't know it's Joseph yet. And then they travel off back to their family. And that's where we're going to leave the story for today. So one of them, Simeon, is still stuck in Egypt. And the rest of them go back. And they tell Jacob everything that's happened. And um, wouldn't you want to be Joseph right then? Yeah? He gets to be the hero. He gets to see the brothers return. He's in a position to inflict revenge on them. But he doesn't. He blesses them abundantly. Like, what a guy. Yeah, he's amazing. I want to be Joseph in charge, having all my brothers come back and be like, oh, I know you are, but you don't know who I am. I'm going to bless you anyway. And um, when you want to be Joseph right then, he gets to be the hero. And we're sold like this story of being a hero. Like it seems especially, I can't speak for other people, like it seems especially aimed at men like this this idea of being a hero, like when we watch all the films. And um, it's not exclusively, and it's good to see some female heroes in films. Anyway, but like when we watch films, 
And the hero does some like mighty feat and he saves the day and he goes on a great adventure and he defeats the bad guys. And it's like, I want to be that. I want to be a hero. I want to be like Joseph. And even if we read the Bible, we can read Jesus in the Bible this way. Like he defeats the bad guy. Yeah. He rescues the prisoners. He gets the girl. She's is the bride of Christ. And, um, <laughs> and I want to be the hero. I want to be like Joseph on the throne. And um, I was thinking about this like a while ago, probably having watched some like Jason Bourne film or something like, um, how can I be a hero in my life? I want to be like that. I want to be really cool. I want to do great feats and save everyone. And I realized that for that, for me in my life right now, being a hero starts off with making good decisions in like the small things in the small everyday things of life just making the right decision every moment every day that's like my fight that's the fight that i've got that's i haven't got like no one's like captured anyone i'm got to talk on the phone and tell them i've got special skills um <laughs> that's what's in front of me that's the obstacle in front of me that i've got to conquer making good decisions yeah honoring my family making good decisions every day of my life and in one thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 11, this is what Paul says. So he's talking to these people in Thessalonica. He says, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. Like, how is that an ambition? Uh, Like, no offense, like, if it is, but it doesn't sound like much of an ambition. Like, especially, again, I can't speak for other people, but for men in particular, I don't think most people be like, yeah, that's my ambition. Going to live a quiet life. (laughs) And Jesus said, like, we would do greater things than he would. Like, greater things, greater works, greater miracles. Like, I want that. I want to do greater things than Jesus did. I want to do greater miracles. I want a quiet life. And, um, I don't want, and it doesn't mean like being a pushover because these are the, remember, these are the same people who Paul is talking about, the early church. These are the same people who were arrested and accused of turning the world upside down. And, um, because it says they were arrested because they declared that there was another king who was Jesus. And all around the world, Christians are still put in prison by governments because they're terrified of the message that Christians have to bring, which is you're not in charge, there's another king, and his name is Jesus. And so Christians, they cause a ruckus at times. You know, like, oh, what are right there? <laughs> One weird trick that governments hate. There's another king. Um, sorry, that... I wrote that, and now it seems inappropriate. (laughs) Anyway, one church, there's another king. So Christians have always been world changers because there's another king, and his name is Jesus. But I'm going to want to read more of that passage out to you. Let's read more of that passage. Let's read some surrounding verses in 1 Thessalonians 4. You can turn to it if you want. I'm going to read it out here. I've got it printed out. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So he's writing to the Christians in Thessalonica. Is Thessalonica as always? He goes, goes now, okay, I'm reading it now from verse 9. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. They obviously lived in Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. 
Now I've lost my point. No. There we go. I got it. I got it. It's this one. There we go. That's not that one. No, here we go. Yes. So your daily life may win respect. That your daily life might win respect. You know, that's not glamorous, can I say? That's not a mountaintop experience. Um, So I watched this advert. Some of you might know that that's controversial. Um, I watched an advert a few, it was a while ago, I'll admit. Um, And it was for baby powder, baby milk powder, baby milk powder. And um, it was about this guy who gets up in the night to feed his baby and then there's this voiceover, and there's this like inspirational music in the background. It's like I've got up in the middle of the night to feed Georgian. There's no inspirational music. Like I was like it's not like in the advert. It's not glamorous. It's not exciting. In fact, the only sounds are a, ch- a child crying out and the dreaded words, "You go," uh, <laughs> or "Your turn." And it's like I'm not trying to say that I'm good at this either. I'm not trying to say I'm good at doing this stuff. But I'm not up here telling you what to do. I'm down here. Saying, let's do this, you know, and I'm, I'm rubbish, actually, to be honest, I'm rubbish at getting up in the night and dealing with children, as Claire will tell you. Um, but I'm convinced that this is where it's at with regard to godliness. It's not glamorous. It's not things that other people see, but it's what we do in secret. And it's the attitude that we have in our everyday lives. And, um, if we look back at Joseph's life, again, if we, if it was made into a film, I imagine they'd probably get like a 1980s training montage in there somewhere. You know, like Rocky running up the steps. Potiphar's house would be a great montage scene. He'd like come in a few minutes long, be some cool music in the background, slowly showing his way, working his way up from like a slave to being in charge of the household. And it would be really cool and inspirational. Oh, yeah, look at Joseph. He's really cool. But the reality was far from it. He was there for years. He was there for years, around a decade probably. He was there for a long time. The reality would have been making daily choices to honour God, despite the fact that he had been sold as a slave. Every day, making the decision to honour God. And um, so one decision that I made, um, so I'm a teacher and um, there's often an expectation you can work from home, but I made the decision to work as hard as I can at school, work really hard at work, so that when I come home, I don't have to bring my work with me. And um, and I, I feel more pleasure from God in that than I do any time I've come to the front and said some prophecy. Because I feel that says more about me trying to honour God, more about me working on my character. And I don't say that to draw attention to myself, but because I think there are people who need to hear that. I think there's people here who need to hear that God sees what you do in secret and it gives him great pleasure. God sees what you do in secret, and it gives him great pleasure. Think about the story um, of Jesus, where there was uh, people in the temple donating money, and there was the guy who put loads of money in and made a big fuss and made a big fanfare. Who was the person who caught Jesus' attention? The small person, the small old widow who nobody noticed, who put just a little bit of money in. But to her, that was really costly. That was really costly. And who was the person who got Jesus' attention? Nobody else noticed, but who was the one who went, look at her, she's the one I'm impressed with. See, God notices what you do in secret. And um, 
and we can be the same, we do the same, it's really easy to judge people, their spiritual maturity, if you like, by what you see in public and know nothing about their daily lives. Um, years and years and years ago, when I first joined a church, I offended some people, and I spoke, it was my life group, and I spoke to the life group leaders, I was really annoyed at them, not the life group leaders, the other people, and they said, you should apologize. I said, why should I apologize? It wasn't my fault, I did anything wrong. And she said, but you don't know anything about what they're going through. You don't know anything about other people's lives. And it wasn't like a harsh thing, it was just a realization. You don't know what other people are going through. You know, and, um, and we want to be Joseph when he's in the palace, when he's living it up, but we don't want to be Joseph in the pit or in Potiphar's house or in prison. But I think what gave God the most pleasure was how he conducted himself in those times. Like it looks really cool when his brothers came and he was able to forgive them, but he was in an amazing position. I think what God gave the most pleasure, what gave God the most pleasure was how Joseph conducted himself through all the years previously when no one was looking. And I think there are people here who need to hear this, that God sees the decisions, the everyday decisions that you make in secret, and it gives him great pleasure. Maybe you're at home caring for your family, caring for a family member, and it's hard. Maybe you're in a job that you don't like, but you do it anyway because you want to honour God. And it will be different for everybody, but you know that there are decisions that you're making in your life right now that are really tough, and you're doing it because you want to honour God. And I just want to say to you, God sees that, and it gives him great pleasure even if nobody else notices. And if it's all right with you, I'd actually like to pray for that right now. Um, I'm going to pray for everybody. If you feel like this particularly affects you and you want people to like, you know, sit with you or pray with you, that's fine, stick your hand up. Otherwise, I'm just going to pray for everybody right now. Father God, we know that you're just, we know that you're good, and you promise in your word that you see everything that we do. And we know that in the world it's so easy to be judged by what other people see. And sometimes we want to put on a front because we want people to judge us well. But God, you see the truth, you see, you see who we really are. And you alone know what we've been through and how tough those decisions have been to make. And so I pray right now that your pleasure would be on these people right here. That people who diligently work hard in secret, that nobody knows anything about. God, that you know. And I pray that just the reassurance of your love and your kindness to us would be made known to anyone who is really struggling with that right now. And that you would reassure us that you see all of the decisions we make when we try to honour you and do the right thing, even when it's in secret and nobody else notices. Thank you. So that's my first point, really. That's my first point done. Godliness is about how we are in the everyday moments of life and that we should focus on trying to be godly in the little things. It's my first point, probably take less time than the second one. Right, the second point is this. I'll tell you what it is beforehand this time. So my second point, are we all right? Shall I keep going? Yeah, point two? Okay, God gives us authority so we can serve others. 
That's my second point. Okay. So Joseph. So so let's go back to the story. Okay. Um, we see Joseph's dream start to come true. The dream was that his brothers would bow down and his family would bow down before him, and they were really offended because they imagined Joseph like lording over them, like what you're gonna. We're going to bow down to you. You're going to be like lording over us like this. But the reality, the context was so different. They did bow down to him. But look at the context. The context was so that he could bless them. The context was they were coming to him because he had stuff that they needed. So I wonder if they'd seen that part of the dream, if their attitude would have been any different. And that maybe even Joseph didn't realize at the time. All he saw was them bowing down to him. But the reality was when they did it, was so that he could serve them and bless them and do them good. And this is another principle of God's, as we've said recently, God's upside down kingdom, that authority is only given so that we can serve others. See, in the world, people love to, we see power accumulated for our own good. People accumulate power for their own good. I loved last week or two weeks ago, uh, Tom, I loved his honesty when he was talking about being made a prefect and he thought he was all that because he was a prefect, careers prefect, if I remember correctly. And um, how many times have you ever met someone who's been like promoted and they'd gone to their head? They thought they were all that. Yeah. How many times you met someone who had more money than you and they thought it made them a better person or, more, or a better car than you or better clothes or funnier or cleverer or better looking, whatever. Um, but a better question is, how many times have we done that to other people? How many times have you seen someone and thought, I'm better than you because I've got such and such. I've got this. I'm good at that. That makes me better than you. I think if we're honest, we all do that. But Jesus said that the greatest in his kingdom, the greatest in God's kingdom, would be the one who serves everybody else. Can I read from the Bible again? I'm going to read Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 20. This is what it says. Jesus called them and said, so he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So even the one who was God, even God, when he came down to earth, he didn't go, here I am, guys, I'm God, get on your knees. But he came to serve. He came to serve. That's why he came to earth, to serve us. Does it make you feel a little bit uncomfortable that God came to serve you? It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because I think it knocks at my pride. Yeah. God came to serve me. Wow. God came to serve me. I'm going to read another verse to you from another part from the Bible. This is from the book of Philippians. It's a bit further on from Matthew chapter two. And I'm going to read from verse three. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every knee confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. See, there was a famine in the land. And what does famine mean? Famine means death. Famine means that you die because you haven't got enough food. And the Bible says that without Jesus, in fact, before we knew Jesus, we were dead in our sin and our selfishness. And there's a famine in our land, too. Did you know that we were meant to know God intimately? Did you know that everybody was meant to know God intimately? There's a great uh, verse in the Bible. I can't remember it now, but it says that um, that they will all know him, that you won't have to teach anybody about God because everyone will know him from the greatest to the least. We were all meant to know God intimately, but we've been separated from God because of our sin and our selfishness. But just like Joseph, Jesus was sent on a mission from his father. He was falsely accused. He was sent down into death and then he was raised up by God and given all authority. And one day there will be a reckoning. But in the meantime, just like Joseph, Jesus uses his authority to meet our needs. And our deepest need is to be reconciled with God. Our sin, our selfishness can be wiped away and we can stand with confidence before God. We're even given a new life. We're even adopted in his family because of how Jesus served us on the cross. Just like Joseph served his brothers and blessed them, Jesus served us. Isn't God surprisingly good? It always takes me by surprise. Yeah. Thank you, God, that he came to serve us and he does us good. You know, I heard a thing recently talking about. So I heard a thing. I thought this this was good. He says, when you tell a joke. Do you do it to make people laugh or to make people think you're funny? So when you tell a joke, do you do it to make people laugh or to make people think that you're funny? That made me think. And uh, there was a time for me when I, I used to come to the front of church quite a bit and I used to like read out a Bible verse or like say a word from God or whatever. And there's a temptation that I kind of didn't do it as much. And there's a temptation to keep on doing it so people don't think that I've lost it. You know what I mean? And um, But the same principle about why you do things applies to everything. So this one says, when you tell a joke, do you do it to make people laugh or to make people, th- to make people think you're funny? You can apply that to anything. You know, cooking. Do you cook food so people have nice food to eat or so that they think you're good at cooking? Making music. Do you make music so people have nice music to listen to or so they think you're good at making music? You know, and we can we can fall into this trap of doing stuff to show people how good we are rather than out of a genuine desire to bless them. You know, the world has this phrase, if you got it, flaunt it. Yeah. Jesus would say, if you've got it, serve someone with it. Do someone good with it. Bless them with it. You know, and we're so funny because even the unglamorous things like doing the hoovering, like, do you do it to bless people or to show people what an amazing servant you are? You know, we can fall into the trap so easily. 
But it doesn't mean we need to be dour and like, oh, I'm just serving you. Like, um, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit of God. It says in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, it says, God delights in showing mercy. That gets me every time. Like, God, oh, will you forgive me? All right, then. He did the prayer. I guess I'll have to forgive him now. You know, it says, God delights in showing mercy. Isn't that how he serves us by dying for us on the cross? God delights in showing I would love to forgive you, John. Yes, I will. Thanks. Like, that's literally what the Bible says. If you don't think God says that, you're wrong, because the Bible says, God delights in showing mercy. Will you forgive me? Yes, I will forgive you, John, because I love you. Insert your own name there. And to serve people means to do them good and to bless them. And um, when we, we are, like, in our church, we have an expectation that people don't come to our church. We pray God, send people to our church. We expect to grow. Do we want people to join our church so that we'll be like a good, successful church or so that we can serve them when they come? And if Jesus sends people to us, it will be so that we can serve them. And it won't always be glamorous. And it's not that we want, I'm not saying we don't already have that attitude, but it's important to remember our values and our priorities. Joseph used his authority to serve and to blunt, abundantly bless his family. Coming to the end here. And it doesn't matter where Joseph was, in the pit, in the prison, in the palace. He always blessed people. I could have got Potiphar in there as well, but it didn't flow as well. The pit, the prison, the palace, Potiphar, okay, whatever. Um, So here's a question for you. What gifts has God given you and how can you use them to serve people? How can you use them to make people feel good? Here's an even better question. What gifts has God given the people around you and how can you help them to use those gifts to serve people? So... That's it. So to conclude, my two points were, first of all, godliness is about how we are in the everyday things. Joseph, he had this cool moment when he was on the throne, but I think what impressed God more and what is good about Joseph is that he, he put the work in before and he allowed God to work on his character so that when he was in that position, he acted that way. So godliness is about what we do in the everyday moments of life, and that is where our focus should be on getting it right in the everyday things. And secondly, God gives us gifts, God gives us authority to serve others so we can do them good. And um, that's it. Thank you.